I'm going to read Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Hear now God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word as given to us. Uh, we pray that you would help us to submit ourselves to it. We pray that you would give us eyes to see your grace, ears to hear about your mercy, even as you demonstrate it to Jonah. Help us to apply it to our own lives, knowing that your heart is inclined to us as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In February of 1891, the whaling ship Star of the East spotted a large sperm whale near the Falkland Islands off the coast of Argentina. They launched two harpoon boats to catch the whale. One of them capsized and two sailors went overboard. One of them drowned and the other went missing. In time, the whale was killed and secured near the ship so they could remove the blubber. And the next day, they hoisted the stomach onto the deck And inside the stomach was the sailor, James Bartley, unconscious but still alive. When he was revived and recovered, he ended up resuming his duties on the ship. In the 20th century, liberal scholars attempted to dispel any any sense of the miraculous, including this story of Jonah being swallowed alive by this great fish. Uh, In recent studies, uh, people have tried to dispel even this story about James Bartley and his being consumed by this fish. Um, Scientists have weighed in uh, about the anatomy of whales. They've tried to determine what, what fish this may have been that swallow Jonah? Was it a whale? Was it a fish? Was it something else? And of course, the question, how could a man survive for three days in a fish? How could he breathe? How could he pray? But beloved, God can do the miraculous. In fact, our salvation depends on us believing the miracle of the resurrection, namely that Jesus Christ was crucified on a tree, that he died, truly died, was buried in a tomb for three days and three nights, and that God raised him from the dead 
with an indestructible and victorious life, all as an act of God's undeserved mercy. And we have every reason to believe that this story of Jonah is factual and not fictional, and yet God's word does not seek out to prove the record of the case of Jonah in the fish. We can focus so much on the fish that we can fail to miss and mar- we fail to marvel at God's mercy, specifically to Jonah. Because if you remember chapter one, Jonah was hardened against the Lord. He was rebellious, a prophet of the Lord who refused his calling to go to Nineveh and instead fled from the presence of the Lord. He refused to cry out for mercy from our God, and yet God here saves Jonah. Jonah was somebody who believed that people ought to get what they deserve. Nineveh was a wicked nation. They didn't deserve God's mercy. They deserved judgment. And even he, you get the sense in the end of chapter 1 that he believed that he deserved a watery grave rather than God's mercy as a result of Jonah's disobedience. And yet God's love and his mercy are far more extensive and powerful than anything that we deserve. He, our God is merciful and he loves, his heart is inclined to show mercy upon those whom he will show mercy. And he shows mercy to those who are humble. And so he humbles us that we might receive mercy. And that's what we need to see from this chapter two is that God brings us low so that he will lift us up in Christ Jesus. And so perhaps you feel undeserving of God's mercy. That's probably true. You are undeserving. Perhaps you feel, uh, perhaps you've never uh, or you've scorned the idea of a holy God who has authority over your life and you've done whatever you want. Maybe you've called yourself a Christian and yet your heart has been cold and indifferent to the Almighty God. Maybe you've sinned, you've known you've sinned and yet you've tried to justify your sin but unable to do so yet persistent in your sin. And maybe you've fled from the face of the Lord because you... Expect to see, rather than a smile, see God's frown looking upon you in displeasure for your actions. Maybe you've even been brought low in your circumstances, feeling God's hand heavy upon you. What you need to hear from this passage is that God is merciful and he delights to show mercy. His mercy is inclined to you. As you hear of God's mercy towards Jonah, know that his heart is such for you as well. Um, this, this passage in chapter 2 is this uh, poetic interlude in the midst of this story of Jonah, and it feels in many ways like it was ripped out of the pages of the Psalms, and it's not. But it certainly takes its uh, inspiration from many of the Psalms. We mentioned last week that uh, Jonah was 
perhaps from the school of the prophets, one of the sons of the prophets, he would have been well acquainted with God's word. He had hidden God's word in his heart. And in the midst of this significant trial of his life, his, he remembers the Lord. His heart is drawn back to the hope that God's word proclaims, the hope of God's kind character, his, his gracious promises. Um, and that hope is fulfilled in Jonah's experience. And that's what we'll see as we kind of look through this, this prayer in four steps that uh, God humbles Jonah and then Jonah cries out to the Lord. The Lord hears Jonah and finally Jonah worships the Lord. So let's listen to that now. So first, the Lord brought Jonah low. The Lord humbled Jonah. God pursues after his people uh, to bring them back. And sometimes that, that, that bringing back requires a humbling of sorts. Um, at the end of chapter 1, the sailors had picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, but we don't know how long it was from the, from the moment of that first splash until the ceasing of the tempest. We don't know how long it was that Jonah sank in the water until the fish gulped him alive. But what Jonah described was a horrifying experience. Um, he, he describes his experience as a, a righteous sentence of the almighty judge of his life. Um, he had felt the sailor's strong arms pick him up and cast him into the sea. But notice what it says in verse 3. He says, For you, Lord, cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. He had fled of his own volition from the presence of the Lord, and yet he sees his experience as the Lord finishing the work. It says there, um, I, I'm, I've, verse 4, I, I am driven away from your sight. I am driven away from your sight. Even to the belly of Sheol. So kids, um, Sheol is, uh, was the place of the grave. Uh, sometimes they equated Sheol with the sea itself. It was thought to be as far away from the presence of the Lord as you could possibly get. And he describes his situation as being trapped in a prison from which there is no escape, staring death in the, the eyes. He says, the waters, verse 5, closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. So where, where, does, where does one turn? Where, where, does, where does somebody go in a situation like this when you are trapped in a prison from which there is no escape and you believe that it is God himself who has appointed this judgment upon you? The, 19th century pastor Hugh Martin said this. He said, is this not the very trial of faith? 
namely to have circumstances to contend with, which appear to extinguish hope, yea, which viewed in themselves not only appear to, but actually do shut out all hope, whatever. The Apostle Peter says that uh, the Lord grants trials to test the genuineness of our faith. And perhaps one of the greatest tests of our faith is what we believe God's heart is to us when we sin against him with hard-hearted rebellion. Does God truly, is he truly merciful to you when you have turned your face in disgust from him? And, and more to the point, when you sense that sin, that sin, that rebellion, and what you have done, do you then believe that God is truly merciful to you? What is God's heart to you? Martin put this very well. He said, It was easy for you to believe in Christ's promise when you did not see the evil of sin, when you felt not the rigor and righteousness of God's law, when you knew not the deceit and wickedness of your own heart, when you had no insight into, no experience of the masterful, unconquerable power of your own corruptions. But now is the time for faith, for the trial of your faith. And when assaulted, baffled, overwhelmed by besetting sin, laden and agitated in conscience by the guilt of it, seeing the frown of the Lord's displeasure because of it, feeling the pursuit of the Lord's anger in his avenging of it, and reading its hatefulness in the mirror of God's pure and holy law, of God's pure and holy nature, of God's dear son's pure and holy character and example, and above all, of that dear son's cross. Now is the time for the proof of your faith's genuineness, of your faith's truth and power. Now is the need for a faith that is not of yourself, but the gift of God. Beloved, God's promises to you in Jesus Christ are yours, even in the midst of your sins, even in spite of your hardness of heart. God's heart is still inclined to you. It still beats with passion and love for you. And Jonah, trapped and despairing of life, clung to the glorious perhaps of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps, if I cry out, the Lord will hear. Perhaps God will save. And he cried out. Even though he believed he deserved that judgment, when his life was on the line, he, like every one of us, longs for salvation, longs for deliverance. And so he cried out. And it should grab our attention. This is the first time that Jonah prays in this book. His, like I mentioned earlier, his, his life was a descent into prayerlessness. God called him to Nineveh. He didn't pray about it. He didn't pray whether I should, he should submit to it. He, he didn't pray before he went down to Joppa. 
whether he should flee. And he didn't even pray when the sailors urged him to to pray for salvation. But now he prays. Beloved, prayer is an indicator of our heart's direction with respect to the Lord. Prayer is a relational act of dependence and submission to our God, fellowship with the Lord. And But isn't it true that we wait until all else fails before we actually pray? As long as the sailors were rowing, Jonah was sleeping. But now that all other hope is exhausted and he's sinking in the midst of the sea, he turns to the Lord in prayer. Beloved, we can't miss the great opportunity and privilege that we have been given to come before the Almighty God in prayer. Our God promises wisdom and forgiveness and protection and direction and fellowship, and he promises salvation for us when we cry out for it. What prideful roadblocks exist in your life that hinder you from praying and experiencing the joy and fruitfulness that comes from prayer. Don't wait until the Lord brings you low and humbles you before turning to him and experiencing and growing in this grace of prayer. Because, beloved, look what happens. Jonah Jonah called out, even in the midst of his rebellion, he called out and the Lord listened. The Lord listened. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Beloved, there's no place where we can sink too far away from the merciful ears of our God. When we pray, God listens. His ears are attuned to the frequency of our hearts and our lips. He is ever attentive to our cries, Scripture says. He delights to deliver all who call upon him. Even in the most desperate of circumstances, verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when you pray that your prayers, your heart's cry, the words of your lips come into God's presence, that God himself is listening Because that's what God's word says. He hears. He cares. He's not irritated. He's not ignoring you. He's paying attention and attentive and eager to save. Because when he heard Jonah's prayer, he delivered. He delivered. He says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. And in response, Jonah worshipped. Verse 9, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Little could Jonah have known that that was the same response that the sailors had, wasn't it? At the end of chapter 1, they vowed vows and sacrificed sacrifices. Here, now he says, I 
will sacrifice with the voice of thanksgiving, and I will vow what I have paid. Beloved, when God saves a person, the only response is worship of the God who saves, because salvation is from the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And, and Jonah gives that clear and definitive statement, salvation belongs to the Lord. And if we uh, think through the whole story of Jonah, even the whole of Scripture, we know that that is true in every respect, every aspect that can be. Salvation belongs to the Lord in the work of salvation. Jonah could do nothing. He was a waterlogged prophet sinking down to the depths. He was imprisoned by the weeds. He was on the verge of death. There was nothing he could do to save himself. The same is tr true for you and me, beloved, for our salvation. Scripture says that we are imprisoned by our sins apart from Christ, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But then what does it say? But God who is rich in mercy. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive in Christ. God is the sole actor in our salvation. The work is wholly his. Salvation also belongs to the Lord from, with, with respect to the source of the salvation. Jonah did nothing to deserve God's deliverance. He was rebellious. He deserved worse than a watery grave. He deserved God's unmeasured wrath poured out upon him. And yet God's purpose was to save him. He prepared a fish to swallow him in order to save him. The same is true for you and me, beloved. You, you can't earn God's mercy. You can't earn God's mercy. But God offers it as a gift. Apostle Paul said the wages of sin is death. But the gift, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. God's purpose is to save out of the riches of his mercy and grace, even for sinners like you and me. And we could even say that salvation belongs to the Lord in the power to receive that salvation. Remember, there was, there was a difference between Jonah on the ship and Jonah in the sea. It was only when God had brought Jonah to his point of absolute need did God give Jonah the will to cry out for deliverance to the Lord? And God's word says that God's Holy Spirit is the one who gives us sight of the odiousness, the, the wickedness of our sin, gives us a recognition of God's mercy to us in Jesus Christ and gives us the will and the power to cry out for salvation. And God worked that salvation for us in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to save not the righteous, not the worthy, but, the, but sinners. Jesus hung on the cross and all the gods, waves and billows of his wrath rushed over him without measure. 
Jesus Christ hung on the cross and cried out in his distress. And the Father forsook him. So that when you and I cry out in our distress, his ears are ever attentive to our cry. He always comes to our aid. By God's grace, we were brought low. We were humbled in Jesus Christ, even into the grave, so that by God's grace, we could be raised with him, even out of the pit, into a power, the power of an indestructible life. Beloved, there is no other name under heaven by which man ought to be saved. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved because of the work of Jesus Christ. Beloved, salvation belongs to the Lord. It is of the Lord, it is in the Lord, and it is through the Lord. It was purposed from all eternity by the Father. It was worked out by the Son, and it is applied to you and me by the Holy Spirit. And this, in a nutshell, is what we would say is the Reformed doctrine of sovereign grace, God's sovereign mercy to us in Jesus Christ which caused Charles Spurgeon to quip, well, we know that the fish was an Arminian because as soon as Jonah said, salvation is of the Lord, the the fish spat him out. But beloved, this is our hope. There's nothing we can do to earn, deserve, merit, or work our salvation, but the triune God has a heart of mercy For sinners like you and me, it is his purpose to save, and no one can stop him. And so he calls you and me to cry out for that salvation, to seek that salvation in Jesus Christ. And if you've never sought that salvation in Jesus Christ, I urge you to do so today. There's one other statement that Jonah says that we ought to pay some attention to. It's there in verse 8. Jonah says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Now, kids, an idol is um, not just a carved image that people would bow down to. An idol is really anything that we would give our ultimate heart to, that we would seek salvation from, that we would give our our entire pursuit of life for. And we can make idols out of all sorts of things. We can make idols out of fun, out of comfort, out of family, out of friends, out of money, anything in all of creation that is not God. (laughs) And God is not of this creation. So anything in creation that we would attribute our heart or give our heart to and seek to save or seek seek to find our fulfillment in this. That, that is an idol. And, and Jonah says, those who pay regard to vain idols or those who focus on idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And that steadfast love is chesed. It's that covenantal love. It's God's saving mercy love. Jonah is saying that if you pay regard to an idol, you cannot have this covenantal love. A deaf and dumb idol can't truly love with 
steadfast love. It can't save. It's powerless to save. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And perhaps what Jonah is praying is with respect to his own experience. Perhaps he's reflecting on the fact that when his heart was astray, when he was rebellious, he was pursuing his own way. It was only when he turned to the Lord that he found the the restoration of that steadfast love. He was able to taste the sweetness of it yet again and cry out, salvation belongs to the Lord. But it's also very likely that there's something else going on here. When we pray, we pray, we, it reveals our theology. That is what we believe about who God is. And as we'll see in chapter 3 and chapter 4, while Jonah was genuinely grateful with heartfelt worship for the mercy that he had received from the Lord, he didn't yet grasp the fullness of God's mercy and grace for other people, particularly for those outside of Israel. What Jonah seems to be doing is drawing a line as far as who has the right to God's covenantal love, his steadfast love, and who does not. As if to say, Lord, remember your character. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope in steadfast love. But I, with my heart, I will give thanks. But beloved, the the good news of the gospel is that God's steadfast love is for all who call upon him. All who call upon him. That all of us are idol worshipers until we come to Christ and bow the knee to the Almighty God. Because remember the sailors. Jonah knew that they were idol worshipers. He no doubt heard their prayers to Yahweh for mercy before they threw him in, but he had also heard them pray to their own gods. So he knew that they were idolaters. But it's unlikely that he knew that they turned to the Lord with fear and reverence and worship after he was cast into the sea. He couldn't have expected that those pagans received God's grace and mercy. And what about Nineveh? What about Nineveh? That great city full of wickedness and idolatry Could they possibly receive God's steadfast love? Could they possibly be recipients of God's mercy? Certainly not, Lord. Certainly not. But beloved, the good news of the gospel is that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yes, we must turn from our worthless idols and turn to the Lord. And in Christ Jesus, we experience the fullness of God's steadfast love, which is eternal. But it is for everyone, Jew and Gentile, all who call upon the name of the Lord. And this is what the Apostle Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians. 
He said, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Those who pay regard to idols will not, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the good news of the gospel comes next. He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Beloved, no one can sink below the reach of God's merciful hand where he can pluck us up and raise us up with Jesus Christ if we call upon the name of the Lord, he will wash us, sanctify us, restore us, and lavish his steadfast love on us forever and ever. And so, beloved, if you've, whether you have never called upon the name of the Lord or you have sat at the foot of the throne of grace every day as long as you can remember, I urge you to come back again and again to receive to drink deep of the fullness of God's mercy and grace in Jesus Christ. He extends it. Receive that love. It is for you. Jonathan Edwards said that the ocean, or God's love is like an ocean with no shore and no bottom. It, is, uh, it will never grow, grow dry. It will never be used up. Beloved, God's love is so profound that the offended party, God himself, would send his only son to take the penalty for sinners like you and me. It is so perfect that he would do all the work perfectly to save us for himself. It is so unbreakable because Jesus Christ would have to be hurled out of heaven and back into the grave for you to lose the benefits that he has purchased in his death and resurrection. Beloved, God is rich in mercy. And it's his delight to lavish that love and that mercy on all who call upon him. Call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon him in Jesus Christ. Drink deep from the well of his grace. Because, beloved, salvation belongs to the Lord. And he extends it. He gives it. He lavishes it on all who call upon him, even to you and to me, beloved. Let's pray. Lord, you are so different from us. So much more merciful and gracious that it is hard for us to grasp the depth of your love. We are so fickle in our love, so conditional in our love, and your love is so bountiful and rich. We thank you for your word which reveals to us the richness of your grace. I pray that you would help us to really grasp that, as Paul did, the height and depth and breadth and width of the love of God in Christ Jesus. Help us to grasp that. And, then, and Father, would you help us to be transformed by it Help us to love with that kind of love. 
You know, we look at Jonah, it doesn't look like he really grasped it fully. We pray that you would help us by your spirit. Help us to grow in grace and mercy. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.